God is so good. I'm so thankful to be able to uh, come and minister. Um, we do, of course, uh, uh, thank God for uh, our great pastors, and I've always endeavored to uh, bring honor to them when I come uh, into the pulpit and minister for them, uh, considering them and always uh, not trying to overstep or say anything. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I used to get, uh, you know, Pastor Tony Wright used to give me a hard time because um, I would say, uh, you've came for much and it's come to little, you know, when people come expecting to hear Pastor David, you know, and, and uh, uh, so he said, you need to quit saying that. And I was like, oh yeah, I just want them to know uh, that I'm not up here to be Mr. Big Britches. I'm here to serve Pastor David, honor him, and of course, um, get the word of God into the people, and uh, you leave here with something of significance that could actually affect your life and change your life um, on uh, you know an eternal level. Praise God, Hallelujah! So, anyways, we're going to get into the word. Uh, we're talking about pursuing God, um, and uh, the uh, scripture uh, that we've kind of wheeled from from the very beginning is, "As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you." Oh God, and so uh, it's been the the one that we've uh, continued to to speak each time. And uh, um, I had mentioned this morning that I, I thought that possibly I was going to be moving uh, to a different message. I had actually uh, really considered and prepared, and then I find myself coming back here. So getting into the presence of God, pressing into the presence of God, um, having this ability, of course, is a privilege that only Jesus gave us, y'all with me, and, and uh, it was expensive. You know, I would say salvation is free, uh, but in reality, it was the most expensive commodity that there is. Uh, it cost uh, Jesus his life, the most precious gift, most valuable gift is Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, so God gave him to us. We now can access, freely come in and boldly uh, enter into his throne room of grace. Praise the Lord. Uh, but I would like to um, uh, talk to you about uh, the revelation that you can receive in his presence. I want to talk to you about um, the posture of entering into that presence that we see and we glean from uh, somewhat of uh, the Christmas story, if you will. We're not going to go all the way into that, but um, take a, a small portion of uh, that event and, and look at how these people came before God. And, uh, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And if you'll bear with me, I would like to just uh, read this um, to you this morning and allow you to um, absorb the whole thing before we go back and begin to uh, examine it really quick here. All right? So in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, starting verse 1, says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, O Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. In actuality, the word wise men here um, is magi, okay? Uh, so magi is plur plural um, for a group of, uh, guess what, magicians, okay? Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Um, so they came from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So there... These wise men, that, uh, you know, this is translated wise men, but is actually magi, they're looking for information. They have come from afar, okay? Um, actually, one uh, southern person thought that these, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, wise men or three kings, whatever, they're talking, he thought that they were firemen because they came from afar. Okay, well, that went over well. But anyhow, so, so but anyhow, yeah, yeah, 
you know. So, so, but no, they came from afar off. Okay, not afar, you know. <laughs> oh, all right. The first group, it, it was better. It worked better for them, you know. But anyhow, so, so the, the Magi um, had came from um, over a thousand miles, these guys came and traveled. So this is significant. And they were following a star, but they didn't know where he was. They assumed that since there's a new king, that these people would know uh, where they should go. And they're in Jerusalem right now, not Bethlehem. All right, so when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So why was Herod was troubled? Uh, we had a, uh, Austra- a fellow from Australia. He was actually a, a very wealthy man, but he traveled and ministered to churches about finances. And, uh, but he, he said that he had this research, this whole event research. He put out big money to find out exactly what took place. These um, uh, magi, if you will, that came through, um, and he found out that they had 200 archers with them. So incidentally, Herod, his army uh, was just a small little portion because he had sent them out at this time is what he found out. And what made him greatly nervous was here is an army literally coming and asking questions. So where's the king? And he's like making him nervous and it made all the people nervous as well. Well, listen, three dudes rolling into town with a a bodyguard isn't going to make anybody nervous. Y'all with me? And so it wasn't just the king that was nervous. It was the whole people. All of them were like, oh, my goodness, what is this? And so, um, so he, he was disturbed, but yet um, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So what Herod did was he gathered all the Bible people, all the people who knew the Bible and, and brought them together and said, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? All hanging on, right? Now, this is information. This is a little different. So I appreciate y'all just staying tuned, just dialing in, leaning in, and listening real good. I feel like you are. Praise God. All right. Then verse 5 says, so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Wow. So this is actually Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. I'd like to read it from there because it just has a little bit more. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Thou, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting, which literally means the days of eternity. So we know what it's talking about, that this ruler is Jesus Christ. This is, this is Emmanuel. This is, you know, God with us. All right. So they, um, these Bible knowledgeable people who the wise men inquired of when they're saying, where is he? Direct us to the, the king, okay? Where's the new king? They said, Bethlehem, okay? So they were pointed, and uh, we come back into the story at verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise man, or magi, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. We know that he was just politicking. 
He wanted to know when the star appeared so he could know the time frame. You know what I'm talking about? Because he had all those who were two years old and younger executed. So he didn't want to worship the king. He wanted to kill the new king. You all right? You with me? It's like, oh, yeah, bring that info back to me so I, too, can worship the king. But that's not what he was wanting to do, right? Okay. All right. So verse, verse 9 says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented their uh, gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. Now here, I'm, I'm about to ruin everybody's nativity scenes. Okay, so uh, we know from this um, that uh, they, first of all, came into a house, right? They didn't go into a stable. And they didn't find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. They found a young child, okay? So you don't have to throw away, you know, your nativity scene because there's three kings in it. Just leave them in there. It's all good. Put it out in front of your house. I think they should be at every government institution, nativity scenes about this time of year, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. And so, so but what I'm saying is our original you know, mindset about this event is, has been just a little skewed and unscriptural, okay? And you know, we sing the song, we three kings of Oriental, bearing gifts we travel so far. Right? And we're thinking of baby Jesus. We're thinking of hay, you know, cows, sheep, camels, right? And, uh, uh, but what we find out when we, we research the, the actual magi is these were not necessarily kings, but they were magi or magicians. And they were astrologers. They were wise, actually. They were wise. They were intelligent people, but they would have been known as magicians or magi. And so they obviously had a, a heart for God. We believe that they were believers. They were God-fearing, if you will, uh, but they probably weren't necessarily um, children of Israel or Hebrew children. And uh, uh, so this actually, uh, interesting fact uh, takes us back to other magi that we see in the Word of God. Y'all remember the story of Moses? And uh, he brought, um, it came to Pharaoh, right? And said, let my people go. And uh, uh, they like, no. So he throws the stick down, it turns into a snake. The magi, they throw their, you know, stick down. And the snake, you're like, we, got, we know how to do magic too. Of course, Moses, you know, eats the snake. You know, his snake eats the snake. 
grabs it by the tail, and it turns back into his rod. So cool stuff like that. This was magi, though. They were around. They were, and even in every culture, there's typically because of, of, of us, our hearts, man's hearts, desiring God, wanting to know God. We have this, this chasm. We have this space that only God could feel. So we are naturally looking to the supernatural, right? Uh, and, and each group would have it. You know, you have uh, people uh, that confuse, uh, you know, things like Catholicism and witchcraft. And, and there's a lot of different things going on all over the world. Indians have witch doctors. Isn't that right? And so all down through the ages, we see magi. And uh, uh, so we know that um, when we go to uh, the story of Balaam, y'all know who that was? Balaam was a magi. A lot of times people think, well, he was this prophet. No, he wasn't even Hebrew. He wasn't even a part of the Jewish group. But, you know, uh, here in in, uh, Persia, they looked in their history books, and they saw all these, these things taking place that the Jews, God always rescues them. They had a challenge because they were wanting to do away with these guys. They wanted to destroy them. And so they're looking and they're saying, man, God always rescues them. We got Moses. We got Daniel out from the lion. Right? Y'all know that? There were magi involved in them going to the lions. You know that? We got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, uh, uh, you know, some people uh, say, you know, shed my shirt and to bed I go to remember their names. You know, it can help, you know. And uh, so, so, so those guys, you know, here they are going to go into the fire, and this was the result of those same magi, you know, people wanting to come against them. So magi have been around this whole time, but Balaam, so they, they're looking to Balaam, the Peruvians, or, or excuse me, the Persians, sorry, Peruvians, Persians are looking to Balaam to, to curse, speak a curse on these Israelites, speak a curse on them. Balaam's like, I can't do it, bro. We can't curse what God is blessed. Now, he's not even an a Israelite, or he's not even a Hebrew ch- child, if you will, but yet they're looking for him to speak something. Y'all with me? Okay, so this is all happening in Persia, you guys. Incidentally, uh, Persia, because it's Persia, a thousand miles away, um, uh, we understand that they probably didn't ride camels, so you got to throw that out of the navy, nativity scene as well to get rid of the camel, because they probably rode very nice, expensive Persian horses. He's like, okay, we got this model. It's the camel model. <laughs> or you can take this on your trip. I'm going to go with the horse. <laughs> yeah. Me personally, 1,000 miles, I would only use a Mustang, a Ford Mustang. That's the only horse I'm going to ride 1,000 miles, you know? So these guys um, are coming all decked out. They're coming with their guards, uh, possibly uh, uh, 200 archers. Uh, These are not necessarily kings, per se. They are men of means, though. They have finances and resources. They're very wealthy. And they're coming um, by a prophecy. Listen, Balaam, it is thought, is their father or grandfather. 
and they're going by a word that Balaam spoke. He was the first one to mention the star. And you can imagine it was passed down, this prophecy passed down to them, and then here it comes. And actually, the star is an aligning of planets, and they followed this all the way to Jerusalem and to Bethlehem. These are magi. Interesting, isn't it? And when they came into the house, not the stable, they found the child, 18 to 20 months years old, Jesus. All right? I'm just trying to give you a build something for you to understand. We're talking about entering into the presence of God. These guys traveled a thousand miles. And I want to talk to you about three principles of worship, of entering into the presence of God. Y'all with me? Three principles. Hallelujah. Number one is expectation. Anticipation. These men uh, traveled that whole distance with the intention of worshiping. Where is he? Remember, Herod? Where is he? Yeah, bring word back so I too can worship him. They came over a thousand miles to worship the new king. Man, we get upset if the, if the, the red lights don't work right on the way here. But I've talked to people that would come from Henderson, you know, and they, they would come all the way from Henderson to here, and there, there's some decent churches in town. Don't get me wrong. We don't believe we're the only church here. I'm telling you. But they just love the word here. They love the, the intensity of God's word and the revelation and understanding and the presence of God. And, and we, we, we tend to try and, and contend for the glory of God here at Word of Life. And let God move in, in ways that whatever he wants to do, we've always wanted to have God do that, whatever it is, and to have the excellence of his word and, and not uh, uh, the uncompromised word. And so there are people that, that are willing to travel from Henderson and Boulder and, and come from different places. So, so these guys came a thousand miles. I mean, think about it. You know, these guys came from, from Oregon on a Persian horse. Now, I just know this. If I ride a horse for a couple hours, I get a little saddle sore. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, and then you walk funny, you know. You got this, you know, bow, you know, thing going on, you know. <laughs> a thousand miles. They were determined, they had expectation, they had anticipation. And this is, this is the way we come before him. This is the way that we stand in his presence with expectation. We come to church. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. We're coming before the king. We're coming before him. We're going into his presence. That's what we're doing. We're not just uh, checking off some religious thing that we, we do each week so we can feel good about ourselves. No, we come here to be changed by him and to honor him. Glory to God. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. So these guys um, come from afar. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 2, 
It says, then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. I just wanted to read that scripture. These guys were those kind of guys that they would be looked to for help. And apparently they got paid very well for their services because they were wealthy. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So sometimes I think uh, we don't want to believe that they were magicians in this kind of a thing because it sounds a lot more prestigious if they were kings. And hence we make a song. We three kings, right? And we think of royalty coming. No, these guys were magicians, astrologers. And they come and they know something is about to happen. And we're finding out that these guys possibly were Balaam's grandchildren. And the reason why they left on a journey for a thousand miles was because of a word from the Lord that Grandpa got about a star. Praise the Lord. It says in Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of, the, of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So this is where we see a prophecy about a star. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So we see um, a prophecy comes forth that this, this, in this era of, uh, that prophesied of the return or a Messiah coming, and it was 453 years bef um, before Jesus actually uh, fulfilled this prophecy, if you will. But originally, um, it was like 483 years. Does that make sense? So Jesus actually uh, started his ministry um, at that mark, 483. Isn't that something? Born 450 years after the prophecy, but it was fulfilled when he began his ministry. Isn't that interesting? Praise God. Hallelujah. So we know um, that uh, God used these peculiar people um, uh, and, and the number 30 is interesting because uh, Joseph was 30 when he actually uh, started his, uh, uh, you know, reign, if you will. And uh, David was 30. It's an interesting number. And Jesus started his ministry at 30 years old. Praise God. Hallelujah. So once again, I digress. We are talking about coming before the king. Coming before the king. And number one is that we have an expectant or anticipatory heart uh, when we come before him. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Awesome, awesome. Point two is expressive worship. Now, this is an interesting dynamic um, because uh, many of us um, tend to take pride in be having self-control and having everything dialed into a certain mode. You know, we don't want to draw too much attention to ourselves or be thought ill of. Isn't that right? 
Uh, but when you come before the king, all that has to go out the window. And uh, we have to uh, be able uh, to come into his house and express ourselves to him in the way that he would seem or view as appropriate. Glory to God. Hallelujah. My, myself personally, um, as, as a young uh, boy and, uh, until I was uh, 19 years old and got born again, I was raised Catholic. And so, um, you know, that was a very, uh, you know, quiet service. Catholicism, we had quiet services, you know. Even the singing was pretty subdued. Um, and unless, you know, Sister So-and-so would start hitting those soprano notes from the loft up there, you know, you know, other than that, it was very quiet. So then um, we have trouble in my home and my family and um, uh, broken home, uh, sickness, different things were going on. And my mom, um, out of desperation, begins to reach out to God, takes me to a full gospel service. I'm raised Catholic, full gospel. I mean, they're speaking in tongues, crying, laughing, prophesying. My mom gets up, leaves me in the pew, and goes and gets saved. And, and I think my fingerling marks are still in that pew because it was freaking me out. I told my mama, we got out of that place. I said, don't you ever bring me back there again. Of course, my mom's like, whatever. Anyway, so... I go back to my Catholic church and, and into our little, you know, catechism, which is like a, a Sunday school kind of deal for uh, the children of uh, uh, Catholics. And, and so I'm there and I asked the teacher, I said, what do we believe about speaking in tongues? She said, it's of the devil. And I looked at her and if she had answered in any other way, I would have thought, oh, but that I knew that was anything but the devil. Those people's faces glowed with the presence of God. And they were filled with love. And they, they just reached out to me. And it was just so unnerving for me. And I was like, shh. But from that moment on, I remembered that. I took note. So when I got born again at 19 years old, I thought back to that group. And I thought, I want what those people had. Those people had the presence of God in that place. And I was used to quiet, subdued, and so when I came into this new spirit-filled life and, and demonstrative worship with hands raised and, and shouting and, and people coming in from all kinds of different backgrounds and churches and coming in and, and just, you know, what's responding to the president? You know, they just have so many wonderful expressions. And we used to have people that could clear a whole pew out when they were worshiping God. You know, people are going, hey, whoa, hey, hey, whoa, you know, coming out and just worshiping God. Hallelujah. Getting their praise on. And, and uh, you know, initially when we first, uh, when I first came in, Pastor David and Vicki came out and started the church, you know, and uh, we had these uh, very charismatic, it was like the charismatic two-step. Maybe some of you remember, it, it was like kind of like this, you know, this was our our dance, you know, and well, that was bigger than what I ever was raised with because we didn't move, you know, or lift our hands. We just sing and sit down, kneel, stand, you know, but, but, but now we got people just, you know, helicoptering, you know, just a, you know, just flying, spinning like a top. And, and the word is so full of, of this kind of, of instruction about demonstrative worship. It's, it's, it, 
the king. We're talking about the king. And they rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they came into that room. And it says they fell down to worship him. We need some falling down worship sessions. And that word fell down, listen to me. When it says he fell down or they fell down, it actually means they threw themselves at the floor as to be crushed and broken. And we find ourselves, once we get all, you know, learned, once we get all grown and mature in the lower, and we see somebody fall on their face in church and begin to cry and weep, we, thought, we think, oh yeah, I remember when I used to do that. And you can just hear the Lord saying, yeah, me too. But these magi, these magicians, who had to look to somebody else for direction to get there, what did the scriptures say? All they had was a heart, a desire, an expectation to worship the new king. And when they came before him, they threw themselves down, broken before him, and worshiped and glorified him. It would not hurt us that each, you know, each time we consider when we come before God is, is did you want me on my knees? Is this... Because I'll do, I will do whatever you want. Because you basically took my place in hell. And I worship you. I worship you. They threw themselves on the floor when they came before him in his presence. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're looking for expressive worship. Your hands raised. Why would you care what anybody thinks about you? Now, I understand you come amongst us like I, when I was a young person, a full gospel. That freaked me out. I didn't ever hear of that. I never saw it. Never experienced it. Didn't even know it existed. But when you come around us for a little bit, jump in. It's okay. Listen, we have all the different kinds of, uh, you know, worships, you know. You know, somebody defined him as hilarious. I think one of them was like this. This is the uh, television worship where you're carrying a television. I forgot the rest. They're just hilarious, you know. But I always wanted to air where I would have to unbutton my suit. In fact, my suit was usually restrictive on what I really am doing on the inside because I would have ripped the sleeves right off of this thing. demonstrative, demonstrative worship. And this is how we come before him. They threw themselves down. We see ourselves around young people or people that just get saved. and They, they don't have to be young per se, but they just come to the Lord newly. They're fresh, you know, freshly uh, born again and new Christians. And, and they, they're weeping and crying. And, and uh, man, I just, just, it, that's healthy. It reminds us of where we came from. But don't just watch them. Join them. Somebody gets on their knees. Don't let them be on their knees alone. Join them. Just come down alongside them. I just want to join with you in honoring the king, the, the king 
Dear God, we worship you, we praise you, we magnify you. You are almighty God. You measure the universe in the span of your hands. You hung the stars in the heavens. You set the boundaries of the mountains and the seas. And oh my goodness, he knows everything about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows you. Loves you dearly, affectionately. Boom. (laughs) On your face. Praise God, I'm running out of time, but Psalm 47.1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 95.1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 95.6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 134.2, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Where? In the sanctuary. In the sanctuary, listen, listen, gentlemen, don't believe that your wives can do your worshiping for you. And listen, you are a great man. God loves you and cares about you, but he deserves your demonstrative worship. Your children need to see you broken before God with your hands lifted up before him. The men of the church need to see the other men of the church submitted, yielded, and just broken before God. This is not a ladies thing. Raising your hand, dancing, shouting unto God is not just for ladies. It's for humans. That everything that has breath, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Lastly, because I'm out of time, extravagant worship. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they come before the new king. They throw themselves down. They rejoice exceedingly. And you can imagine what God was doing in those men and their lives. They could sense the glory of God in that place. And and they began to be so moved. They told their servants, go bring all the treasures. Come bring them in here. But sir, we got to get back home. Bring all the treasures. It says they opened their treasures. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are significant. They each have a significant meaning. Gold is royalty, frankincense having to do with prayer, and and the myrrh having to do with anointing uh, those who are dead or headed that direction. We know the story. And so they brought actually the best products of Persia. They brought their best, and they laid them down before the king. And listen, when we come before God in this way, when we come and fall before him broken and worship him saying, I am useless and unfruitful without you. I can do nothing with any significance without you, God. But because you are my God, I am invincible. We read the scripture for offering, honor the Lord with your first fruits. They honored Jesus with their first fruits, their finances. They probably said, I don't care how we get home. All I know is these treasures are staying with the king. Because where your heart is, where your treasure is also. They were smitten in their hearts. These magicians, astrologers, these people 
were smitten in their hearts in the presence of the king. And formerly, they had to look for help. They had to go ask for directions. But now, let's read it. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. I'm going to have to read it to you. Ready? Glory to God. Verse 12. It says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. What? Divinely warned. Before they were asking, where is the king? Tell us what to do. We don't know nothing. But you spend time with the king and you get in the presence of the king. He speaks to you directly. And God wants to speak to you directly. He wants to talk to you about some things. He wants to help you with some things. He wants to show and reveal some things to you. So these guys knew by this information from God that they should not go back to Herod. But go another way. Step out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. Because you know that Herod probably was prepared to not do those guys good. He was intimidated. So we spend time with the king and we worship the king and we glorify the king and we fall before the king and we lift our hands to the king and we shout to the king and rejoice exceedingly with the king and we give extravagantly to the king and he speaks to us directly. Woo, praise God. Oh man, sometimes we just need God to talk to us, right? Like, God, I just need you to talk to me right now. I need some help. I need to know some things. I, I need to be able to make, make the next step with confidence. Fall before him. Worship him. He'll talk to you. He'll show you. Say, well, Pastor Andy, I've, I've done some pretty bad things. Maybe you have. But I like this story about the magi. These are the magic guys coming before the king and their lives, I, I would like to believe that these men's lives were never the same when they met the king. If we'll just leave what we were right there before the king and leave out the way he wants us to leave, then your path and your life will be different. And God will bring grace and comfort and strength to these areas of your life that you're in need of. He'll help you. You've not been abandoned by God. He might have been abandoned by others, but not him. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Praise God. So there's some of you who may need to come home. Maybe you need to get, make some adjustments in your heart and your life. Just do it. Fall before him. Throw yourself down before him. I'm telling you, you'll leave so different. And he'll talk to you again. He'll show you what needs to be done next, how to navigate. Because there are those who want to destroy us, there's no doubt. But God's grace is on your life. We must come before him, practicing the presence of God all the days of our life, entering into that inner circle, God has a plan.